This is the Territory Story Podcast with Leon Logan-Nathan and Peter Gowers. Thanks to Ward Keller, the Territory Law Firm. Hello there. Welcome. This is the Territory Story Podcast. My name is Peter Gowers. Joining me as always, Leon Logan-Nathan, my co-host. Hello there. Hey, I think what we ought to do for these uh, for, for this particular <laughs> podcast is we should say this is the Territory Story Weekend Edition. The weekend edition. Yes. Okay, no problems. I'm the, sure Sky News will be happy with us stealing their... <laughs> <laughs> the, the, the weekend edition with Christopher Walsh. <laughs> I love it. And uh, we should probably introduce him from the NT Independent, Chris Walsh. How are you, mate? Hey, I'm good, guys. Good to be back with you for the weekend edition. <laughs> I was, was going to say, welcome to the weekend edition. The, the newly named... <laughs> Yeah. All right, well, what's happening in the world of Walsh? You've been fighting crime, taking down all sorts of crime bosses this week? Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, we've been uh, certainly, uh, somebody sent me a text earlier tonight saying, yeah, you certainly ruffled some feathers this week. So yeah. we have done that, and we don't apologize for it either. And that's what you're there for? Yep. So, so yeah, a lot of stuff. Good. Well, let's get into the uh, what's happening in, in the NT Independent. Of course, the uh, federal government have come out and said they're not going to uh, appeal the decision regarding the live export uh, of cattle. Yeah. Uh, the, that, the ban, I should say, the form of yeah, ban. Yeah, the, the ban from 2011, of course, uh, into Indonesia. Um, yeah, look, we've talked about this before, guys, you know, how important it is to the Northern Territory. Um for a lot of reasons, you know, economically for sure, but it, it, you know, that pasture is kind of life up here, and and just what it means to the territory is huge, massive, and um, that decision that was made in 2011 hurt a lot of people. As uh, former cattleman CEO Tracy Hayes was saying today on radio, you know, lives have been destroyed over this decision in 2011 to to, mm-hmm. to ban the, the cattle export. Um, so we reported back in June there when uh, Justice Stephen Rares came out with his decision that uh, the found in favor of pastoralists and the cattle producers that um, uh, that Joe Ludwig, former labor minister, had acted inappropriately when he uh, did that knee jerk reaction after the Four Corners episode in 2011 and and and, and implemented the ban. So uh, and then we saw it was it late last month uh, in June that the Brett Cattle Company, one of the uh, founding members of the class action lawsuit, were awarded just under three million um, for their loss and damages, and then plus costs that were caused on top of that, as I recall. Um, so today, now uh, the government had something like twenty-eight days to decide whether or not they were going to appeal it. Um, please, we're we're arranged and you know presented from all over the place. Um, you know, uh, even people in their own party in the coalition government were saying, look, guys, you can't do this. You can't appeal this. You know how difficult it's been for uh, cattle producers in, in the north and um, just don't appeal it. And today, a little bit of, uh, you know, good judgment on their part today. They've come out and said that they're not going to appeal that, um, which now kind of paves the way for, you know, at least I think it's more than 300 class action claimants to be compensated for loss, uh, what that total figure would be now. Uh, not entirely clear, but uh, that'll that'll be coming out in the coming weeks and months. Um, it, it it was devastating for the place, and that and that's for sure. The thing that the government and you know it took them long enough to really do it. I don't know, was it like twenty four days or something? Um, the thing that they that they said. Now remember that when we spoke about this before, uh, and Tracy Hayes made a big big piece of this when I was speaking with her about it about the misfeasance um, charge that was leveled and was upheld by the judge, by Justice Rares, who, uh, who said, yeah, you know, there was misfeasance. Now, the federal government um, today saying that they wouldn't appeal, but kind of reserving a right to, to argue that it isn't, you know, essentially a precedent-setting case because, well, they're concerned about any of their decisions, ministerial decisions being challenged in the future on the same grounds and that this did kind of open that and set that precedent. Um, so that's going to be interesting. That'll be, that'll be, you know, legal arguments to be made later on down the road. Um, but very interesting, very interesting part of whether or not a, a minister can be held responsible for their decisions. And of course they should be. Um, but you know, that's, that's what the government's most worried about. And in the meantime, 
a big win for territory cattle producers for sure. Mm. Yeah, it certainly looks like it was a um, <clears throat> a political decision because yeah. because I think in a perfect world they would have appealed that decision. Yeah, um, but it, they were caught between a rock and a hard place. By appealing it, they would basically be, you know, creating obviously more drama for the um, <clears throat> the plaintiff, the the, yeah. the cattlemen and uh, associated industries. They probably agreed, you know, from a political perspective that it was a bad decision by Joe Ludwig in the first place. Um, but at the same time, I think, um, whilst I haven't read the decision. Uh, Yet, um, just reading the commentary, it appears to me that uh, they, yeah, as you said, Chris, they don't really want this to be a, uh, a precedent-setting exercise because they, I think they are quite firmly of the belief that the decision itself on a technical basis was wrong. Mm-hmm. Yep, mm. yeah, and they said as much. Um, the court's reasoning, I just got this up with, with Attorney General Christian Porter, said the court's reasoning in this matter represents a departure from existing legal principles governing both the validity of delegated legislation mm. and the tort of misfeasance in public office. Yeah. And yet yeah, that's very interesting. Yes. That is, I find that interesting because of the uh, misfeasance in public office. I mean, that's a real thing. Yeah. And uh, it's about time that the people do, the, the politicians are held accountable for their decisions. That's how I feel personally about it. But of course, they'll weasel their way out of any responsibility any way they can. So. Mm. That's yeah. their job. <laughs> Is it? I don't know. I think their job should be accepting account, you know, responsibility, being accountable. Buck stops. Didn't Truman have that on his desk? Buck stops here. I just felt like there was a, um, uh, you know, the, the, the government's response was very measured mm. and the, they, you know, their natural inclination was to appeal it, but because they weren't in power at the time, there's some, there's some political points to be won by not doing that. And yeah. it's just, there's just this feeling of, okay, well, we'll just keep that in our back pocket for down the track. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And, uh, yeah, of course, there's always going to be politics and everything here. But mm. like I said, at least this is a good one for, for the good Correct. guys on this one for sure. Yep, so. Absolutely. Yeah, well, we'll have to wait and see what happens with uh, further um, claims. But uh, talking about claims, um, and Chris, uh, you know, I'm just wondering how many enemies you really want to make up there because uh, <laughs> after the uh, Bill and Ted's excellent adventure last week, um, we've got now the administrator, poor old Vicky O'Halloran, uh, under the microscope by the NT Independent in relation to taxpayer-funded travel. Yeah, that's right, Leon. Look, no one's sacred with us. (laughs) (laughs) What what have you discovered there? Um, Yeah, look, it's it's kind of puzzling because I want to say this from the outset, and I I get, well, the the role is an unusual role. Administrator in Canada, we have what we call a lieutenant governor, which is the, the queen's representative in the provinces. And I think it's governor here in the States. Um, so up here in the, in the Northern Territory, we have an administrator and it's been around for a long time. Um, it is technically, it's not the queen's representative. It's like the queen's indirect representative here because the territory is not a state. So it's, it's a whole different thing. And anyway, but I mean, this, this, this position's been, a real position since before self-government, which, you know, a long time ago. And um, here we are now. And I think the questions are starting to come out, uh, you know, have we lived its usefulness here, this position? And, and, and that's no, not being disrespectful to Vicki O'Halloran. Now, by all accounts, people, a lot of people are really quite happy with what, with how she's, she's handled this position and uh, you know she was reappointed earlier this week to the position for two years um at michael gunner's insistence which is a little strange considering he's going in caretaker mode next week um but anyway you know he said oh she's been so popular uh really like her outreach stuff now she clearly employs somebody to do her social media that is the most glossy facebook page which with the best <laughs> photos i've ever seen um 
it's really well done and really polished. And she's got this whole thing and she's doing it and people love her. Um, you know, and that's fine. And I, and I, I think that she's really done, probably done some good things for charities here in the territory too. But you know, like the, the old science I'm about charity starts at home. <laughs> Perhaps it's best if, uh, if the administrator stays at home here she in stays the home. territory. <laughs> yeah. And kind of goes around, you know, goes around the territory a little bit more because, um, yeah, look, what we, uh, what we stumbled across, almost quite literally stumbled across, was uh, some figures in a document somewhere um, that showed exactly her, her spending and uh, at least, uh, you know, bulk figures on some trips, on a few trips. And there were three trips, three international trips that she took at taxpayers' expense. Now, the total for, for what, that, uh, what that position actually costs, I, I'm not sure. You know, might have to file an FOI into that at some point, and that'll probably be an issue. They probably won't give it to us. They'll probably claim it's commercial confidence, like they like to, or something as if that's possible in this. But you know, she's got the house and the private chef and the and the driver and uh, all of these things. So now, meanwhile, what we do know, what what was declared and what what's been made public now, are the are the travel figures, and they're a little shocking and. <laughs> one of them I just I can't believe and that's and we started the story with that and that's the trip to London to Buckingham Palace no less so um, when the governor general has to or governor general when the uh, when the administrator has to travel internationally she has to run that by the chief minister and the chief minister signs off on it so back in February 2019 um, there's a woman by the name of Helen Whiffen who uh served for administrators every administrator for the last 40 years that's come through the nt she's been the you know executive assistant of so um uh, apparently buckingham palace wanted to recognize her for her you know long-suffering service to the crown <laughs> and uh so they said you know we're going to give you the the royal victorian order and i'm not familiar with that but it is a pretty prestigious thing from what i've read so um you know, for your 40 years of service to so come over to London, we're going to, you know, you'll meet Prince Charles, he'll put a little medal on your lapel, and things will be good. So, you know, it seems like a fair thing to honor this woman, whatever, she's done the job diligently for 40 years. So she gets ready, and she's going to go over there. But then, then it looks to us that the administrator then kind of got wind of it and said, well, you know, I wouldn't mind going there and seeing her <laughs> majesty myself <laughs> so and then she says and you know what i want to bring my official secretary slash photographer this guy's also takes mm. all of her photos and i'm pretty sure does a lot of the glossy photos that i mentioned on facebook so um so anyway these two uh decide they want to tag along now what happens is according to the documents and we we went to the administrator and and her official secretary um with questions saying can you explain like the discrepancy here so you know, you got to think about this. So this 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 woman, the, the, the public servant, she goes over there. Um, she's there for three days, and she comes back. Meanwhile, the uh, the administrator and her official secretary, um, they're over there for ten days, and at a cost of seventeen thousand dollars just for the administrator. Sorry, and then another ten thousand five hundred for for her secretary. So you know, you're pushing thirty grand. Uh, just for them to, the, the crazy part was for the woman who was actually being honored and the official reason for being there, she was there for three days and her travel expenses cost territory taxpayers 1200 bucks. <laughs> Is it a backpackers? So, <laughs> yeah. Like I don't, I don't know how they got her over there in the store. In the, um, yeah. So 14 times more just for the administrator to go. Then for the public servant who was the guest of honor, who was actually being honored, and then you throw on top of that the official secretary, um, uh, Vicky O'Halloran's husband, Craig O'Halloran, also uh, attended. Though it doesn't appear that, that there was any taxpayer money expended on him on this trip. So, but anyway, so the, the, the whole premise, and you have to write down what is your official reason for going on a trip, and she writes down. You know, to to accompany um, Helen Whiffen on her glam her glorious award, really need to be there to support her. So then we see that the, the, the old girl gets booted out to the street. She's eating soup, 
somewhere in a in a diner. <laughs> Meanwhile, the administrator is prancing around with with the queen, no less. <laughs> and with Prince Charles and these exclusive private private meetings. So yeah, you, you you start thinking, okay, somebody's a little out of touch here on what's going on. And it was like I think Ellen was booted back to Australia. And then, uh, you know, Her Highness, whatever they call her here, the administrator, Her Highness um, met Her Royal Highness and uh, had a good meeting. And then, um, and then Prince Charles as well. So those kind of things, though, like, you know, that's, that's just not, uh, it's just kind of hard to explain, especially given the, um, you know, the current financial crisis that we're in here. And this is only two months after that was announced, too, that we were in this, that really bad place financially and here oh well i'm going to london um so then we see that there's some other trips and i had to compare it with this document that we found with the document that i found last year to find out that way and i said and i'm looking at that i was like wait did she go there twice so then we find out that every year well for 2018 2019 she's been taking annual trips to hawaii um for a full cost of like you know sixty five thousand dollars all in for both of her trips, so in November 2018, uh, Vicky O'Halloran charged 17737 per six-day trip to Honolulu. Uh, in, 20, in 2019, November again, and keep in mind this is in the, the middle of a buildup when we'd all like to get the hell out of there <laughs> and go to Hawaii, uh, another $17,542. That's just for her. And then you've got, again, Craig Kitchen is his name, the official secretary slash photographer, slash, I don't know, media specialist, but he doesn't talk to media. Um, <laughs> so he tagged along. First trip was 10500 Next one was $14,000. Um, now, this was all under the pretense. When you look at that, too, you're saying, okay, so what's the reason, the official reason for travel? Well, apparently it's to, to, to I, I, I guess it was just attend. I wasn't going to say celebrate because it's a somber thing, but Veterans Day in the United States, which is, you know, the equivalent of Australia's Anzac Day. So you have one day where you're remembering the troops and honoring the troops. Um, she went, so, and, and, and I know that because in Canada, we call it Remembrance Day and we know the Veterans Day services as well. And it's all, you know, one day and it's over. But here she is uh, a week, both times, uh, mm. going to Hawaii in the middle of the buildup, charging taxpayers for it. Um, so then I, I got thinking like, well, is this a thing? Like, is this a thing where we've been sending anti government officials to uh, Hawaii to celebrate, to, you know, mark Veterans Day? So I started digging around, and, and the best I could find was that it looks like the first time it happened was in 2017. And that's when Michael Gunner, the chief minister, uh, went over there. And now he went for six days, about the same time as her. It was only 13000 for him. But, and he was saying at the time that it was jobs, you know, he was, he was creating jobs by going over there because he was meeting with American defense personnel, which, yeah, I don't think so. But he must have liked what he saw and he seems <laughs> to have come back and told. He recommended the, the it. Yeah. <laughs> but really, and she said at the invitation of the chief minister, like, I, I don't know how one head of a government has the ability to invite. <laughs> someone to a, a completely foreign country but anyway she says gunner invited her uh -huh. to go and attend and she liked it the first time too so she went back again and meanwhile <laughs> you add up all of this stuff we're, we're looking at a, a hundred nearly a hundred thousand dollars in just uh you know 19 months worth of uh of trips so to justify that um yeah i'm guessing that's why they didn't get back to me there's really no way to justify it the question the follow-up question would have been this um, I was doing uh, some stories years ago with the previous CLP government about their their taxpayer-funded travel and a lot of good stories. Peter Chandler, education minister, was a guy who, who liked to, to go on trips. So I will <laughs> say this about Pete. He's a good guy. He's a good man. And he, um, he came to his senses after a while and realized, yeah, okay, maybe this doesn't look as... But the, the thing was, his media advisor got on me and was saying, oh, you know, this is all for official business, you know, um, yeah, he brought his wife, but this is for official business. And I said to them, okay, um, just tell me this. Where did the minister go on holidays this year? And they couldn't answer that <laughs> because we knew where he'd yeah. gone on holidays because we had the taxpayer-funded receipts that showed. So 
my follow-up question had uh, Vicky O'Halloran actually responded to our questions would have been, well, where did you go on holidays this year? Because mm. I'm betting it was Hawaii. Um, but, so they didn't come back to us on that. But the other thing that really was odd mm. in, the, in the documents I found was that the, the, the question, you know, it was, they released DCM, Department of Chief Minister released some figures on how much their electricity costs were for different buildings around town. And Government House was listed as being, it was like $75,000 for um, the first three quarters of the year, 2019, 2020. So, you know, you look at that as the average being 25000 a quarter, so about 100000 a year. $100,000 a year in electricity for the Government House, so the administrator's residence. Oh. It's causing that. So that is, oh, and just by comparison, the TIO building and the government's offices there $36,000 a year. What? Wow. Yeah. Well, I, yeah. I would, I would have said that the, the government house, they must be running the air conditioning uh, 24-7, including during the dry season. But that place is, is built for the tropics. It's got louvers everywhere. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, you'd freeze if you had the, the air con on during the dry season. <laughs> <laughs> well, the first thing that we thought, and I thought you were going to say that, the first thing we thought was, is she running a grow up? <laughs> I was going to say, you know, it's got to be large. Meth lab? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like, when you're getting that high up, I mean, seriously, police yeah. look at this stuff, right? For spikes and They power. do, yeah, they and do. This would be yeah. a place that would be raided by the police. I'm not suggesting that she's doing that, but maybe a staffer's no. got. You know they got big gardens at the back. Maybe they have <laughs> I don't know. Maybe they got the maybe the lady got the ward from the Queen's been running a, a grow house for forty years. <laughs> <laughs> and that's yeah, how she afforded her trip over there and only charged taxpayers twelve hundred. Gosh, hundred grand a year. Yeah, 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 that's, yeah. I thought you meant um, Parliament House, not Government House. No, actual Government House. Yeah, oh my God. you got to check that out. That is wrong. That is. I, I'd be yeah. complaining if I was the, the, the administrator. That's not right. Well, she should have known. And look, the, the figures came from the Department of Chief Ministers, so surely they know. They released these figures. I didn't make them up, but they released them. So uh, I don't know about I, complaining, I, I, Leon, but I'd certainly be getting solar for that sort of price. Yeah, well, yeah. yeah. I mean, it, no, that can't be right, mate. That you can't. You, I don't think you could even consume that much electricity if you tried. Uh, there's a lot of parties going on. $25,000 um, a quarter, Pete. Well, you know, like yeah, it's, but, a, it, it, it's mm. an old building, and there's another building out the back that she actually lives in. Like, she doesn't live in that actual uh, is that right? historical thing. There's another yeah, kind right. of unit where, you know, she, she comes down and she has her parties, her dinner parties, and everyone sets it up for her. She comes down, and then she goes back up, and she doesn't clean up. She goes back up to her living quarters, and I'm, and I'm thinking she turns... You know, and the aircon's been running all day. Yeah, she cranks yeah. it up even higher and then gets online, <laughs> buys a Buckingham Palace tea set or something, and, uh, you know, the day's good. But uh, there's got to be there, something going is on. Is there a swimming pool on site? No, nah, not that I'm aware uh, of. Because that, that can cost a bit. Well, but they should be. Somebody should definitely be looking into it because even for a hundred grand, the upgrades you could do to the place and well, to get it more efficient. At the very be. least, exactly. Somebody should be looking at how they can reduce the costs. I mean, yeah. Well, and that was, yeah. So that was our question, Pete, right? Like we went yeah. and said, look, given, given the, the terrible state of our finances here, um, what measures are you taking as the administrator? You know, maybe, maybe, you know, by leadership, show us exactly, teach by leadership how we're, how we can save money. What steps are you taking yeah. to reduce costs? And they didn't get back to us. She didn't respond at all. Yeah. And that's the kind of flippant attitude I think that people have had enough of with. And, and for that, I mean, you know, you've got the public servants dealing with a lot of things that, they, that they're being forced to do to find savings in the middle of these tough times. And here we are just throwing money, 100000 to run, you know, to pay for the electricity of a building and another 100000 to go traveling uh, overseas. Yeah. That's, that kind of stuff's hard to explain. And yeah. I don't think anyone. I don't think we're getting value for for our dollar here on that one. And mm. um, yeah, and then you had Scotty McConnell, the independent MLA, coming out saying, "Yeah, look, this is uh, we can't afford this largest office." Mm -hmm. He's gone now, and he took it a step further today on ABC. Had him on, and uh, he said, "Yeah, let's um, let's uh, let's move the RSL into that place." 
Mm. And yeah. uh, the administrator role should kind of be diminished. That it's just an honorary thing here. You know, you got to uh, sign off on some legislation and then do that. But why can't we start doing things, making some saving some money and uh, uh, discovering new opportunities as they go along? So yeah, that's going to be interesting. But I, you know, I don't think anything's going to change. They seem to want to do this. And you know, Michael Gunner, as much as he, you know, and he said that, uh, you know, what a great job she's doing. But he, he also said something very strange about how she's proven to be a worthy and distinguished ad- advocate for the NT internationally, supporting our region's interests overseas. Well, that is nowhere is that is that anywhere close to being an official function of an administrator, a governor, lieutenant governor in Canada. They, that's not their thing. That's not what they do. They're not out there internationally supporting the region's interests overseas. It's, that's crazy. It shows he doesn't get it, so we're not going to find any savings there. I was just going to say, maybe Michael's not aware of what the uh, actual administrator's job is to do. Yeah, well, when he's saying this, exactly. I mean, he's, yeah, yeah, and he's trying to justify this stuff because he knew that he shouldn't be signing off on this. But. Mm. Well, I'm glad they got Scotty McConnell out there. We had him on the podcast. Um, in fact, it was released... Um, well, today, as a recording today, it's released today. Yeah, yeah. 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 he uh, he's just uh, look. I got to say, I've never met the guy before in my life. Um, first time I spoke with him, I thought he made a lot of sense. To tell you the truth, yeah. well, 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 we've spoken to you know a number of politicians, um, and we had the two independents. Uh, on the same, uh, well, not the same podcast, but on the podcast on the same week mm. and the amount of um, common sense and, you know, great ideas coming from the two independents made you just think uh, the system's broken and mm. it needs looking mm. at because, you know, if I have one more person say to me that uh, Jerry McCarthy is the hardest working politician in the NT, I think huh. I'll scream. Because clearly he obviously is, but my my question immediately goes to, well, what's everybody else doing? Because they're not. Wait, going. what do you mean? You mean Jerry Wood? Sorry, you mean oh, Jerry sorry, Wood, sorry, not Jerry McCarthy. Sorry, yeah. sorry. sorry, that's why I first saw yeah, him and I said, yeah, yeah, yeah. I've never heard anyone say that about McCarthy ever, <laughs> ever, ever, ever. ever. <laughs> no. He is that's the sorry. least working <laughs> the, 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 of the two Jerry's. No, no, uh, Jerry Wood is. You know, yeah. I'm just like, well, if people are saying that and he's retiring. Um, so he's obviously a, a major loss, and you look at all the positioning that's going on with the, we'll call them the major parties, the the three that are there. It, it's it's laughable right now. Well, and that's we we were talking about that a couple of weeks ago. I think about how, um, well, it's just my impression that the parties are the ones corrupting the system, and. Yeah. I think that when people get in there, they're not into a party, they're not representing their constituents as well Mm -hmm. as they should. And Mm -hmm. you've got the example of Jerry Wood, who, you know, for decades has been doing this now. And he's so well respected there because he's got nobody stopping him from representing his constituents. Whereas Mm -hmm. in a party, there Mm -hmm. are people who get in the way. And then you get into Scott McConnell. I mean, there's a guy who had that same ethos as Jerry Mm -hmm. that Mm -hmm. he want to be there for his people and to represent them. Mm -hmm. And he realized firsthand he mm. saw firsthand what happened when when a party blocked him from doing that and saying, mm. "Yeah, that might be in your your constituents' best interest, but it's not in ours. It's not in the party's best interest." Mm. And that's where I think that fractured, and he left. Yeah. But and especially in a place like the Northern Territory, where I think that being an independent gives them more opportunity, or at least drives them a little bit more. They can't hide behind the party; it drives them to find solutions for their constituents because it's only them doing it. Whereas with the party, the politician is more likely to decide with the party and think that really in the end, I don't have to work that hard because Mm -hmm. the party will bail me out come the next election. They'll have the people on the ground. Mm -hmm. Um, We just have to sit back and and agree with everything. Mm -hmm. And in a place like the NT where the electorates are so small, I think sooner or later, and I, and I've, and I've got to listen to Jerry and I'll listen to Scotty's too, but, I'm sure that they both said at one point that sooner or later we'll be at a different system here. We should be where, um, uh, you know, that it was a consensus government that Jerry was calling it. Yeah. Where, um, you have these independents mm-hmm. who do it and it's like a big council and maybe that's what we need to get back to to get those grassroots solutions mm-hmm. instead of the parties looking after themselves. Yeah. You know, 
there was something else that, that we had some figures on something that we went to the CLP with. It was actually like their figures or somehow it came out through them. And then they didn't want to comment on it because <laughs> they, because I think that they thought, well, we're just going to wait for our turn to get in government and then all of this, you know, frivolous stuff it will be ours and we, we can take it and it'll be ours. So we're not going to criticize the government for that kind of spending now because next time it'll be our turn to get yeah. in on that. And that's <laughs> yeah. just, that's just, that's permeated the, the psychology up here for way too long. Instead yeah. Of yeah. It's called, it's called putting party before the people, you know, and that's the problem. Mm-hmm. That's, that's the problem. It's a problem over in the U S uh, it's a problem here. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, the, the, the end result is that when people wake up to this, I think they're going to start to realise there's no point voting for a party uh, or voting for a, a person that represents a party because that person is going to put the party's interests before, their own, before the interests of the electorate. Yeah. Mm. Uh, That's what my mother used to say years ago, but my grandfather would always say, you know, vote for the party go for the man and not the party. Right. Mm. And, and probably in like the forties and fifties, like maybe that was something that was like done, but like now it doesn't matter who you vote for. You're voting for the party and the party's mm. going to do what they want to further their own interests over the top of the voter for sure. Yeah. I mean, what was really interesting about the independence too, was that they, they both support fracking, you know, but for different reasons, mm. Gary literally jumped on a plane, went to the U S and did his own study tour. A, a real one <laughs> where yeah. he, he actually looked at fracking, uh, interviewed people that were affected by, by it and wrote a report basically coming back and saying, look, based on what I've, the research I've done, it's fine, you know, provided uh, all the safety issues or recommendations are followed, there's no, no, there's no problem with it. Um, meanwhile, you know, Terry Mills does a backflip on it uh, f- Apparently, because no one can be trusted to actually oversee the um, the safety recommendations. Mm-hmm. Well, or, or in fact, I think his comment was, well, Michael Gunner can't be trusted to oversee the safety. Well, what the heck? If you're in government, who cares what Michael Gunner's doing? You, you know, yeah, I don't, don't it's going to be the public that. service. Yeah, yeah. it's oh, going to be the same public servants. Yeah, yeah. so... Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, you know, with, with Jerry, and you remind me of his trips again, um, <laughs> and how good he was as a traveler for saving the dollar, the yeah. taxpayer money, and staying with people. And yeah, um, yeah maybe surfing. maybe we gotta yeah we gotta put his <laughs> name up for administrator sometime. Yeah, exactly. And, and and like he would tend to the gardens in the back himself too. We wouldn't even have to pay for the gardener. Anymore. In fact, so, in fact, he'd probably put solar up there and actually claim a rebate. It'd be more than the actual <laughs> consumption of electricity. <laughs> Uh, and he'd probably do it from his uh, from his backyard in Up to Do, I reckon, as well. He'd say, no, no, there's yeah. no need to, yeah, yeah. to open up Parliament House or the administrative yep. house. Yeah. Uh, Rent the house out and make some money to pay off the debt. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, oh, look, it's really, really um, gratifying to see people like Jerry Wood. And look, you know, yeah. I, I accept that there are some views that Jerry isn't across all the issues sometimes and... Um, but, you know, when you're an independent and you don't actually have a, a cast of thousands to run around doing all the research yeah. for you, then you are limited yeah. to a certain degree. But, but he really, yeah, he usually is across it. Like, I'm surprised that we're in Parliament House and mm-hmm. all the sittings that I've seen him for the past six years. I mean, he really knew his stuff and uh, it can, it is, had, yeah, it can, it retained a lot of information. The thing that, that always made him, I think one of his best speeches was probably near the end and I, I put it up, um, well, excerpts from it in a story because, you know, he had made a comment that, that the labor government, he said that prostitution was, you know, sleazy business, right? Mm. I think he's entitled to his opinion on that. Yeah, there are others yeah. who would say that it isn't. And, yeah. but labor, Natasha Files, the attorney general, leader of government business, just lost her stuff over that and said, you know, how dare you? You retract that. You can't say things like mm. that here. Mm. And he said, well, no, you know, it's my opinion. I'm allowed mm. to say what I think. Mm. And she, she demanded, this went on for like five minutes where mm. she said, no, you retract that. That's offensive. And who has determined it's offensive? Natasha mm. Files has mm. determined it's offensive. And look, I don't agree with a lot of Jerry's uh, social policies on stuff, but mm. hell, he does have a right to, to say that. And he got up, and so that was earlier in the day, right? And then he gave his German speech and he, and, he, and he brought up the issue of that and, you know, to a larger extent, the cancel culture thing. 
um, and saying like, yeah, look, I, I have my, my beliefs and they're the core to me and they've made up, make up who I am. And I know they're unpopular sometimes when I'm going to say what I believe. And, uh, and, uh, you know, that's being true to me, myself and, and the people who voted me for me, like, you know, I mean, you get into an issue there too, but for the most part, people have been okay with him. They love him out there. So he, mm-hmm. he clearly represents some of the shared views that, that, that are out there in his electorate. And I just thought it was just disrespectful of, of labor to decide that they get to decide what's offensive and what isn't. And that if you're not on their side with something, well, they're going to shut you down and they'll make it so you never speak again. And being on the receiving end of that for other reasons, I, I can appreciate that. <laughs> <laughs> well, Meanwhile, straight out of the file that reads, I could have seen this one coming a mile away. Uh, two blokes have been forced into quarantine after lying about coming into the Territory through Sydney. Oh, this is the old, uh, what was the policy? The un- your honour policy. Yeah, just um, don't come. It's just very strong. And not that this was mixed message. We're telling you, don't come. But if you do come, <laughs> you just got to tell us. That tell you're us the truth. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like it, it's not going to work. It, it clearly hasn't. Um, yeah, so the issue was today, of course, there was uh, two guys who were handcuffed and frog-marched to a plane from Nullaboy, a police plane, and taken to Darwin, and uh, they'll face court now. And they've been thrown into. So it's the first time, I mean, we've had, we've had over, we've had like 150 breaches of quarantine. Uh, this is the, oh, there might have been a second time, might be the second time where somebody's finally been forced into the supervised quarantine. Now, what happened was that these guys had uh, come up from a flight from the ACT into Cairns and then over into Nullamboy. And uh, at some point in her, which unclear, they lied about whether or not they had been in Sydney in the previous two weeks and some, for some reason they had. Or somehow the police found out they had. Now they went and they questioned them in Nolanboy. Um, so it's unclear where exactly they made the lie. Was it in Nolanboy? Was it in Cannes? I'm not sure. Um, so anyway, they went the next day after they got there. The two men were questioned by police who found inconsistencies in their stories. Um, but yeah, how, how they came to know this, they didn't kind of reveal that part of it, disclose uh, how police became suspicious of these guys. Um, anyway, found that, found uh, eventually that they, well, allegedly they did the Sydney now that they're up on charges. So, um, they were taken into custody, flown to Darwin, like I said, uh, and they'll be in court on August 10th to be the first ones charged. And they're most definitely the first ones charged with, um, uh, with what, what is it? The violating the chief health officer's directions under the public and environmental health act and making a false declaration under the criminal code. Yeah. Right. It's the potential fine or um, jail sentence if if there was is one. Yeah, that's a that's a great question. I didn't I didn't write this story today. It was one of our other reporters, but um, let's see if it says in here. I'm not sure. I'll have to find that out. Uh, yeah, no, they didn't tell us. But but three years in jail. Yeah, I was going to say it must be wow. jail. I thought it was a jail. Yeah. It says says, uh, that this is a trust issue, but I say to the person who's coming to our border, if you lie and don't want to spend 14 days in a hotel room, then you face three years in a prison cell. Who's saying that, Leon? Uh, Gunnar is on the ABC. (laughs) Tough guy. (laughs) Our strong man. Territory tough guy. Our strong man leader. That was actually in our story. I see that. That quote in there, three years in prison cell. Wow. Um, Yeah, so... The tough guy's cracking down now. Um, mm. We'll see what happens. But, yeah, like I said, 150 fines. <laughs> I don't know. I know that there's a lot of unease still in the community now, the way that this has been opened up. And um, and uh, these are not the good stories to, you know, allay people's fears that, um, no. that, that, it, that it will get into the territory because you got this going on. Um, oh, I've got to tell you, Chris, there, there should yeah. be some unease because... <laughs> It's a bun fight down here. And, I know. I, yeah, you know, I was going to ask you about that. You got everyone saying that it's a conspiracy. It's the what? government trying to control people. I actually saw this idiot on social media the other day, and I said to someone today, the, the, the thing about it is it's, it's not a problem that he wants to go out and say things like that. 
The problem is that people actually believe it and quote it as being fact. The reason mm. why we reason why what's going on is going on is that about thirty years ago, aliens came to Earth and they've they've mated with humans. And now they don't know which ones are the aliens and which ones are the humans. So that's why everybody has to have these tests so they can figure it out. And this bloke was saying it as though it was fact, right? Oh, my God. And this is the problem. You've got all these idiots from anti-vaxxers to, uh, you know, this is government control to whatever. And you've got the Victorian Premier who every day looks like he's got the weight of the world on his shoulders Mm. reporting the new numbers because they're just just not sure how or when this is going to stop. So it's an alien conspiracy. Wow, I've never yeah. heard that one. Yeah, that's, that's crazy. The, that's the, the latest the, one. The part that was troubling there, and we were talking <laughs> about this in the office today and yesterday, I think, was um, some story I saw out in Melbourne. Where, where was it? Like 90% of the people who weren't feeling well, mm. um, uh, they, yeah. were they going out? They were going out and doing stuff and waiting for their tests? So they, they, <laughs> they think they might have it. So they go and get tested. And then instead of going home, they just carry on with their normal lives until they get the results. Now, there's a little seaside town called Orbost, which is cold and bleak and whatever. This woman went to the doctor, had her test, and then went to 10 shops. All 10 shops are now mandatorily shut down for two weeks. So when does this get to a point where people get jailed or fined or lose their houses for utter stupidity yeah yeah and and that's the worry here i mean if that comes in there's going to be a lot of people who act like that up here yeah oh yes and we're, oh, we're starting yes. to see that and in fact Jesus. we'll uh, we, 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 we will make victoria look like a, a sunday school picnic i suspect <laughs> yeah because uh, <you> know. <laughs> yeah, people won't be taking it seriously yeah. they'll be going yeah. out and, and they won't even bother with conspiracy theories here because it's just you know, we nah. don't, why bother with conspiracy theories? We can just just do what we want. You know, yeah. it's the territory. <laughs> yeah, 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 the territory lifestyle. Yeah. Uh, uh, well, mate, uh, based in the grass, uh, my daughter was a little bit disappointed to hear that it's been postponed to twenty twenty one. Yeah, yeah. The, uh, making the announcement today, I, I'm sure there were a lot of people disappointed, but probably not surprised that. Uh, mm. How do you how do you do a music festival like that here now? Um, you know they're doing the uh, the V eight supercars thing because that's still going ahead. They figure people won't be as close as uh, as they would be at a music festival. So now it's uh, been postponed until May next year. Um, yeah, that's that's kind of disappointing news for a lot of people. But I guess you know where we don't want to become like Melbourne. And these are the kind of uh, trade offs we have to make. Yeah, absolutely. It's, um, I mean, it, it, those events work on having as many people shoved into as small a space as possible. So yeah. in this age of social distancing, it's sort of, it's going to break every rule under the sun. And unlike the V8s, which presumably is, is heavily um, uh, sponsored or, or financially taken care of by the NT government, uh, based in the grass would get some funding, but they'd be largely responsible for uh, you know, ticket sales to, to, to cover their costs. Yeah. Yeah. So that's, uh, that's disappointing, but, uh, certainly, um, probably for the best here right now so that yeah. we don't have any infections and like, yeah, we were just talking about people coming in. So, you, and, and from what I understand, people did come from interstate for this one and they do have some good acts from time to time. So yeah. Yeah, it's better better not do those kind of take those kind of risks at this point. So next year people can hold on to their tickets until May, I guess. If not, yeah. there are refunds too. But yeah. yeah. Now, um, following on from last week, uh, where we heard about Colleen Quinn uh, being arrested and charged, um, you guys reported a story that uh, the chief minister had actually heard about the investigation prior to the charges being laid. Uh, but continued to extend her contract anyway and, and didn't seem to make any inquiries as to what was going on. Yeah, um, that was really surprising. And, in fact, uh, you know, Gunnar had been on the radio, on ABC Radio that morning, and I, I hadn't heard of it. I was busy in the room, newsroom doing something else, working on other things, and it was later in the day that I heard about it, and so I went on and I listened. And, um, uh, 
it's troubling. The, 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 the last time immediately went back to the last time a chief ministers made a comment like that. And so what he said was that, that, oh yeah, I heard, you know, something about this, you know, rumors, um, you know, Darwin's a small place. You're always hearing something. Most of those somethings you hear aren't true. He said, now it's been my experience in the past six years here as a journalist that 95% of the things you hear in Darwin actually are true. <laughs> That's just, you know, my experience as a journalist for six years. But anyway, he reminded me right away when he said that of exactly what Adam Giles said years ago about John McRoberts. And when McRoberts got caught up in that whole, uh, uh, where he was charged and he, was, and he had to resign, he was subsequently found guilty of perverting the course of justice. And the chief minister at the time tried to wash his hands of that saying, oh, yeah, I heard some, but, you know, you hear rumors all the time. And they're not true. Well, that one, there you go. That was true. <laughs> now, I'm not saying that Colleen Gwynn, that anything, um, that any of these accusations or allegations made against Colleen Gwynn are true. We don't know. That'll go through court. Um, where it gets a little tricky, though, for the, for the politicians in it all is that, um, you know, he was on with Joe Laverty, uh, does the ABC Breakfast Show, and she said um, you know, had you heard about this investigation before, you know, renewing your contract? And he said, I think like a lot of us, I'd heard, no, I didn't know. That's how he said it. Oh, so he what? started to say it hurt. So, and then mm. she gets some and she says, well, no, you just said you heard something. So come on. And that's when he says, oh, I, you hear a lot of things. And some things aren't true. Um, uh, and then it got, it got very strange here. Many, she said, do you, does she continue to have your confidence? Now, it's an interesting question. One, he had just said earlier that I guess now she's been stood aside, as he's putting it, on full pay. So she's getting paid. Um, she's not in the job and she's awaiting the, the, the uh, court process to go through. So Joe Laverty asked Gunner, does she have your confidence? And he says, yes. She's been charged with, she's contesting it. I've got confidence in the process. I've got confidence she'll work her way through it. And whatever the outcome is, the outcome is. She's done a good job for us in the past. Now, that's a weird comment to make because his first priority here is the integrity of the office and the position of the Children's Commissioner. And right now, she's facing charges. Now, we're not saying she's guilty. But she's facing charges, and that, that brings that position into disrepute. Um, so for him to, 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 to blindly say that, and also, it, you know, yeah, I don't know what that does for any type of legal issues coming up, but he's just saying basically, oh, yeah, I believe her. You know, I think this is, I'm not sure about these charges. We think she's going to get through it, um, and I've got confidence in her. Well, you know, a lot of other people were going to probably wait for the court system to determine whether or not they have confidence in her moving forward. <laughs> but, you know, you know there, there's so much more to this. And I did that, that piece on um, the analysis piece on the weekend last weekend about it kind of behind the scenes of it all. Um, and one of the things here, and I think I touched on it last week with you guys that I, I knew about this story and allegations made. So about this, and this is, you know, just is just one thing that was brought up in 2018 about uh, her hiring or potentially hiring, allegedly hiring a, a close friend of hers. So um, we raised that. I raised that personally with Natasha Files, the Attorney General, and uh, with the Public Employment Commissioner. Both of them didn't do anything about it. They they wouldn't respond. The Files put it on the uh, Public Employment Commissioner, and Public Employment Commissioner put it on her. And then I, I remember sending an email to them at the end saying, guys, look, I've just made you aware of credible allegations. Um, are you going, am I putting in the story that neither one of you are going to do anything about this? And again, they didn't respond and the story didn't run, um, ultimately. Um, I think the issue for Natasha Files here is quite complicated in that she was aware in 2018 of something going on. Um, and, and so one of two things happened, right? She reappointed Colin Gwynn as the Children's Commissioner just two months ago. Um, either she she pretended that what she what was raised with her wasn't true, and she appointed her and gave her the thing, or you know she did know um, that there was an investigation going on, that there were allegations, and that she she appointed her to this this position again. Um, 
you know, either way, it's questionable on exactly how, why they would make that decision because she didn't know about allegations that she know about the investigation. Why, yeah, why, why appoint for another five years if you knew something was going on here? And that's, um, it's one of those things that we're not going to get explained anytime soon. Mm. Yep. Okay. Uh, to the next story, 55 teachers in quarantine as term three commences. I presume those teachers are doing the right thing there and staying indoors. <laughs> yeah, there was a, you know, it was really that, that, that's an odd story that they had um, that many teachers and teaching aides and whatever they're called, um, who actually left the territory and went to these hotspots and then came back. Um, I believe the government, you know, at the time was offering them money to stay. Uh, and don't go interstate because, you know, there could be issues here. This thing isn't over, but these people decided, um, no, we're going to get the hell out of Darwin yeah. or the NT and, uh, and took off and went interstate. So now, um, you've got, yeah, 55, uh, teaching, non-teaching staff currently in quarantine as the classes resume this week. And so they get paid um, for staying in quarantine. Yeah, I would Yeah, of course. Yeah. And, um, Teachers get paid no matter what, Leon. You know that. <laughs> yeah. uh, look, I don't want to be too hard on teachers. I do know there's a lot of them work very, very hard. Um, but just, I don't, I don't know what to say yeah. about this. I really <laughs> don't know. I mean, you know, I mean, maybe they were driven to leaving the territory because the students are so terrible, you know. <laughs> That's but, fair enough. But did they have to go to Melbourne or Sydney for their holidays? Could they have not picked anywhere else in the country? I don't know, mate. I just... <laughs> But, you know, it's just, uh, it's just slightly irresponsible if you ask me, you know. You know that if you're going to these hotspots, you're going to come back, you're going to be put in quarantine. And who misses out? Kids, you know. Yeah, uh, correct. So, you know, how much do you actually care about what you do? It comes to my mind at least. I don't know. Maybe Look, I, I agree with you. Teachers do work hard and I can't, I can't comment for what's been happening up there, but I can tell you down here. I've been dismayed at the amount of student-free days, the amount of preparing they need to do after three months off, the amount of times they've had to set like oh, an extra week of school holidays so we can prepare for this and prepare for that. Mm. And then I, I saw when the kids were doing homeschool, I looked at their little rosters of things they had to do each day. You could have blown me over with a feather when I saw them one day. Mm. My, my nine-year-old had five things done that he had to do for the day and I don't think any of them were more than two letter, uh, two words in explaining what he had to do. Mm. And I'm thinking, so how did this take a week to prepare for? And that, Chris, is what feeds into, um, you know, a population that becomes adults that believe in aliens actually creating the coronavirus. You know? <laughs> That's how it works. Correct. That's how it works. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And, yeah, I'm, I'm just thinking still about that. Like, I, you know, I kind of get maybe if they're in remote communities, they want to get out of there for a while and go somewhere. But, yeah, to go to some dangerous spots, I'm not sure that was wise or well thought out. There are probably some other nicer places still up north, but you could get away. Um, and I was remembering hearing on the radio, like, as the school ended, it was, I think it was the Creole news you know in language uh, that abc does and i didn't understand all of it but i heard the, the phrase that they put in there sit down money mm -hmm. so the government's offering teachers sit down money yeah yeah that's, that's what they go they, they sum that up pretty good but clearly a lot of them didn't take it to get yeah sit down money has come up in the podcast chris the uh, last few yeah, weeks I uh, bet. uh invented by goff whitlam from what i understand um and uh, whilst, you know, he, he did some amazing things as uh, Prime Minister, my golly gosh, I think, uh, I think um, the, uh, some of the concepts that are came, came out, you know, in, in the spirit of trying to create equality, have mm -hmm. just backfired in a massive way uh, and we're still mm -hmm. paying the price of that now. Yeah. Yeah. Well, well, there's generations who've been paid sit-down money who will, you know, 
struggle, if ever, to reverse that. It's just, it's ingrained now. Mm. So, um, mate, well, look, uh, one last thing I want to ask you, unless Pete's got something else. Um, we've been talking about political donations. In fact, that was the title of last weekend's uh, podcast with Walshy. Uh, mm. Have there been any further developments on this whole um, saga? Sorry, saga, I should say. <laughs> yeah, it is. <I'm> sorry. <laughs> kind of, yeah. I mean, I'm, still, I'm still hearing the, the, the CLP. You know, I've had to do some financial um, dealings with like another affiliated entity to get some cash going, mm-hmm. and that the CLP has sold some some assets, some shares that they had, uh, in order to get a cool hundred grand to run this campaign because they they're not wow. getting those those corporate donations or those business donations they used to, which goes to the story from last week. Um, so I'm still looking into that, but I did talk to some people in the party and some people involved with the Gibson Legacies who said, yeah, yeah, you know, we bought these shares from the party itself. So the party, I don't think, has as many resources left at all. The Gibson Legacies Associated Entity does, um, but the party's really struggling. But meanwhile, um, and, you know, because that came up this week that, um, that they had a fundraiser at the cab as well, and Labor did a few weeks ago. It was $2,500. Um, CLP this week was charging two thousand um, uh, <laughs> discounted entry, I guess. And <laughs> by all accounts, they didn't have nearly as many people as Labor. Um, well, they got two members. Yeah, and, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but this you is know, how it works, Pete. Yeah, this candidates. is how it works. <laughs> This yeah. is how it so, works. It's whoever's in government, you know. Yeah. Now the reason that they used to do this, and this is this is true, is that they would do it after that because they knew that the the donations wouldn't come out or those until like the end of the next financial year, right? Mm-hmm. So now, and I think I said something like that that this time it'll be October, and I misunderstood something that uh, the Leon's brother Ian, the electoral commissioner, had said, and so we were actually I was I was emailing him about something else that had come up this week. And he reminded me that um, that actually, for the first time ever, we're going to get another release of donations for the month of July before the election. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, we'll get to see all of these uh, donations <laughs> and where they came from before we go to the polls. Ostensibly, uh, before we go to the polls. I know a lot of people are voting early and maybe that won't matter to them where, where the money comes from. But I, it sure yeah. matters to me. I like to know where... That, that level of accountability, and I'm, I'm impressed that, that Ian's done that, and I think that that's a really good initiative here. Can you find out what shares the CLP dumped? There might be some bargains worth buying out there. CBA. It was CBA shares. Oh, was it really? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, they're not going to take a hit on 100 grand worth of shares, CBA. <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah, yeah, it's those kind of things. But, you know, and... Now, being like a month out, like I think it's like a day less than a month out, right? We're doing this on the 23rd of July and the election's August 22nd. Um, um, and we go into caretaker mode next week, next Thursday on the 30th. Um, so we really got to watch this week what's going on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, remember last time, the last election, 2016, the CLP put through this uh, thing just before caretaker mode that involved, you know, free land being given to a developer <laughs> uh, that we didn't find out about until October or something. Um, yeah. So we'll be watching. There's there's all kinds of things I think they're going to try and sneak through. And not that, that, that Labor thinks that they're going to lose, right? I mean, they're so arrogant to yeah. the point that they really think they're going to win again quite easily. Um, by making the campaign, like I said, about the last four months and not the last four years, which is what it should be about. Um, so yeah, we'll just be watching very carefully. We, we've, we've been monitoring all those tenders and stuff and, uh, so many of those things that get awarded that look suspicious. We're, we're, we're on top of, we'll be there. Um, yeah. And we'll see what happens. Um, yeah. Yeah, not long to go before that, but uh, the election's going to be... It'll be an interesting run home from here. Yep, and really at this point, I mean, you talk to everybody, nobody knows. People are just, no one. No one's guessing even how it's going to shake down by the time it goes out now. Um, by the time it all comes in on, on August 22nd, who's going to win and who's going to do that. But I just, I'm still just annoyed that, 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 that Labour is not 
you know, the chief minister's still not showing up at debates. He's told Mix 104 that he'll do a radio debate there, leaders debate, but I don't think they have anything firm yet. And uh, I'm really just, that that's not accountable. I know next week, guys, we're going to talk about some other stuff about that, about being accountable in government. And, and I can just say now that, that to, to kind of lead into next week is that I have proof now, like a lot of proof, documented evidence that that this labor government has been far and away less transparent than the previous Adam Giles country liberal party government that okay. that was roundly criticized for you know allegations of corruption of uh, just disrespecting the institutions this government that this labor gunner government that came in um, uh, under the promise and the pledge of being open and transparent has been anything but Next week, we're going to talk about a few really serious examples that we've just uncovered now recently. We'll mm-hmm. be writing about next week. Any chance of a second book, Walshie? <laughs> yeah. Well, we're going to crux in the Cabernet, the story of <laughs> Murphy's saga. <laughs> Something. Um, yeah, man, you, you, yeah, who knows? It's just these guys haven't been anywhere near as like colorful and entertaining. <laughs> but every just as bit of, you know, dodgy and tricky and really covering things up. So, yeah, make it yeah. about what you will, but we'll have some good stories coming out. We'll have some good stories in The Independent, for sure, in the lead-up to the election. Like, really big stories. Yeah, uh, they, they just, they, they remind me of the Boers, you know, uh, the, 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 the South African Dutch, um, mm. it, you know, so basically... It's a when, big statement, Leon. Well, because... <laughs> Because when they were under siege or, you know, when they were getting attacked, uh, mm. they used to circle the wagons, you know, and keep a yeah. very, very tight sort of uh, a, a close-knit sort of situation going on. Yeah. That's, all, yeah. that's what I find here with this, this mm. Labor, labor um, government. I think that they, they've decided that the best way to get elected is for Michael Gunner to do as little as possible as, as far as debating is concerned, as far as answering mm. questions are concerned. Mm. And for him to be virtually missing in action, um, uh, you know, uh, in some ways, and I hate to say this, but a bit like Joe Biden in a way, <laughs> just make a, a, you know, be as small a target as possible, except that yeah. Joe Biden's in opposition and Gunner's actually in government. So, yeah, um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. How do you hide when you're the leader? Wow, find a way. Um, yeah. yeah. Well, they got sleepy Joel Bowden running for them. Sleepy <laughs> Joe Biden. <laughs> <laughs> they might anyway. be leap, leaping Joel Bowden. <laughs> yeah, yeah. After the well, election, watch that. <laughs> well, I might, I might be uh, counting my chickens here, but Joel Bowden did reach out to me on on LinkedIn and said that he's uh, happy to get on the podcast. So. Oh, I, like, I thought thought you would have said he, he he reached out to him and said, "Stop messaging me." No, no, I only messaged <laughs> once, mate. Uh, and uh, so, yeah, so, so with a bit of luck, we'll have him on. Um, we had uh, Senator Malandiri McCarthy on. Um, well, we, we've recorded it. I haven't released it yet. Um, so she's Labor and uh, she's talking okay. about the, the loss of the seat, the loss of the... Um, uh, the lower the house seat. Lower yeah. house seat, yeah. So, so um, yes, that'll be interesting. Um, but no, look, uh, you know, we'll, we'll slowly chip away at it uh, like you are doing, Chris, and hopefully get people's stories up there and and, and see how we go. Yeah, well, it's an important thing to, to get to get information out to the public. And when a government st- starts restricting it the way that they're doing like, yeah, you guys won't believe this, I'm going to tell you next week. So we'll wait, though, because there's a few things i got to do first. Mm-hmm. But um, it's unbelievable. I've never seen anything like it. So... When the government is restricting information that is the public's right to know, that really bothers me. And, and I feel, and this has kind of been what our mission is with the Independent, and it's what we've really showed in the last week. Like you go back and read some of the stuff from last weekend. I think we really hit our stride and exactly what we were aiming to do, which was to expose things that other media won't. Um, for whatever their reasons are for doing that, I'm not sure, but but to be truly independent, I think we proved it this week, and we'll be proving it um, yeah, from now till the end. You know, we're, we're yeah, we 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 know we have a responsibility and a duty to the public to uh, to get that information out, and we're not going to let the government stop us at this point. 
Well, uh, I can tell you the proof is in the eating, uh, Chris, because, you know, whilst you, I know you get thousands and thousands of uh, views of your stories online, um, our, our podcast, uh, which is obviously a very long-form version of journalism, perhaps, uh, if it can be called journalism, mm-hmm. um, is, uh, you know, you, you've cleared 120 uh, downloads uh, for the last um, the last weekend edition, which is which is uh, significantly higher than a, a normal podcast release. In fact, Pete, what were you telling me the other day about the number of downloads? You said something about that. I'm not sure what you're referring to, Leon. You were talking about if there was uh, over a certain number of downloads, then it's in the oh, top. yeah, yeah. Yeah, sorry, yes. I do know what I was telling you. I was just doing some research on it in general. If if you get more than 123 downloads of any one podcast within 30 days of release, then you're in the top 50% of podcasts globally. And uh, and we certainly do mm. on all of ours and, and, and certainly all of yours, Chris. So, yeah, so yeah, you, you've had 123, Chris, in five days. So yeah. people are definitely listening to it. I can see it go off the charts immediately that it comes out. You know, people are downloading and listening to it. So a lot of yeah. people with the surname Walsh, but that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't think that's right. In Canada, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, no, but look, I enjoy doing this, guys, because I think yeah. that we get to speak a little bit more, um, certainly more candidly. Yeah. And in more detail of the stories that get out there and we can kind of color it in a bit more for people. And um, mm. yeah, uh, yeah. And like I said, I'm looking forward to next week because we've got a few things. And, and Leon, one of the things is right up your alley that you've talked about the last couple of weeks. So mm-hmm. um, looking forward to, to chatting with you boys next week. Awesome. All right. Well, thanks very much, mate. That was Chris Walsh from the NT Independent. Weekends with Walshie back again next week. The weekend edition of the Territory Story podcast. We'll catch you then. You've been listening to the Territory Story Podcast with Leon Logan Nathan and Peter Gowers. For more episodes, search Territory Story Podcast on all leading podcasting platforms. The Territory Story Podcast, thanks to Opie Dennis Digital Marketing, your local digital marketing agency.